Hey guys, and welcome to season three of the Us People podcast. I'm your host, Savia Rox, and in this season, I get to make my guests laugh, cry, and even make them think about life a little differently with the questions I fire over to them, which digs into their lives and professions a little differently. We even had a chance to change up the intro, giving you a fresh new sound. I look forward to sharing season three of the Us People podcast with you. Let's go. Hi everyone, I'm Raghav and I'm a high performance and executive coach and you're listening to the Us People podcast with Xavier Rocks. See, you've done that in one take. Made up my mind, now is my time to shine. Now is my time to shine. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Us People Podcast. I'm your host, Sammy Ross, and today I'm humbled to have Raghav here with me, who is an executive and high-performance coach, and also a corporate trainer. Raghav, thank you so much for coming on the Us People Podcast. How are you? Well, thank you for um, having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and you know, I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. How are you? No, I'm okay. I'm not too bad. Um, feeling the effects of the week but in a positive way so i'm definitely happy to be here and again thank you so much so my first question for you Agaf, is could you tell me a little bit about yourself as an individual but also where you was brought up and how that influenced you to be the person who you are today yeah sure sure so a little bit about myself now you know i'm someone that even as a coach, even given the work that I do, and someone might see that's professional development and yeah. making, living an extraordinary life, and in fact, you know, achieving everything that you can and being your best self. You know, there's a lot of connotations associated with being a coach. Yeah. But for me, I think you know what's really important, and I'm seeing this more and more. I coach clients is that it's you know just living your life to the fullest, and the lockdown has taught us this. So many things happening in the last couple of years have really taught us this that even in my world now the coach that i look for that coach me i want to see that they're living their life fully you know they're not being too serious because i think that's such an important indicator yeah. of someone having a great lifestyle that they're doing the things they love they're following the projects that they love they're you know pursuing missions that they love they're doing things that you know really light them up and i think that's so important and i'm not saying you know you have to now do that for the rest of your life and you know leave your work and whatever it's just it's for me my like everything i do now is about you know how can i really live a life that excites me and inspires me and you know fulfills me and feels really good versus doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff and trying to be successful for the sake of trying to be successful or trying to be extraordinary for the sake of trying to be extraordinary you know i don't believe in any of these messages i don't believe in this whole sort of concept of the you know the 10x and you have to be extraordinary because everybody's driven by something yes you know, for me, it's coaching. It's for me, it's changing the political landscape. You know, it's one of my goals that you know working on now, going forward, and heading into politics. And this is stuff that really excites me. So that's where I am now. And I think, you know, what's driven me towards this? Funny enough, is you know, I grew up in an Indian Asian background, right? Indian, um, yeah, Indian parents, and they were born and bred in India. They came over here, and I was born in Britain, as you can probably tell by the accent, and yeah you know for them i think what's led me to being where i am today is you know for them they came from a country where academic performance is really important 
you know, you've got to do well in exams. You know, the stats are just crazy. Like, I don't know the number exactly, but I remember there's one university where they had, you know, 5,000 applicants, 500 spots, and every single one of the applicants has got like 98, 99% across the board on their exams. Whoa. Right, so the competition is just, like, that's the sort of environment that my um, mum had grown up in, and she had done really well in, in school, like, really well. So growing up, there's a lot of pressure, even from the people around me, to you know you've got to do well in exams you've got to do well at school you've got to perform and I had so much stress and pressure growing up as a kid that this is what I felt needed to be like the thing I have to be achieving academically and as you know for me there was so much pressure that that actually got in the way of my potential you see people think pressure is really good for performance actually it's not it really isn't and it can actually sabotage performance and that's what I found happening with me that I struggled to really get the most out of myself in my exams to, and I'd say I'm fairly smart and academic. Like I could do well in exams. I had a good memory, but coming up to the exams itself, I had so much pressure in my mind that I just struggled. So like going through that when I was younger and struggling with my mental health, struggling with low confidence, linking so much of my life to outside achievement and then coming into the world of coaching, yeah. It really helped me slow down and think, you know, is this true? And is this what's real about life? That this is what is meant to happen. People need to be stressed. People need to be so outcome focused. People need to, do we need to make it all about, you know, achieving and doing and whatever? And it's just like a narrative. It's like a rat race. I've it's like a hamster that. wheel. Yeah. But the minute you're on it, you'll spin faster and faster and faster. They keep, if you keep going on, if you keep staying on the wheel. It's just taking the courage to jump off. So for me, I just figured this doesn't feel good. It doesn't make sense. And now that's led me the other way of actually, I don't think life needs to be that serious. And I think we make it too serious. And I think we overcomplicate it sometimes. I agree with you on the complicated part. <laughs> I definitely do. I think people do complicate their situations. We're giving a situation, but then what we do is we overthink it. And once you overthink it, you're right, we do complicate it. And when we complicate it, we get stressed. When we get stressed, we get anxiety. And and everything kind of stems on from there into a place or a point of slightly no return sometimes. And then that's where you come in <laughs> mm-hmm. to tell us, no, slow down, which I think is admirable as well. What you do is very admirable. My yeah. ne- my next one for you is, can you define who you are as a person, but who do you see when you look in the mirror and what does your reflection say back to you? But on the reverse of that, has there ever been a time when you've looked in the mirror and haven't recognised the person staring back at you? You know, I really love this question because there's so much depth you can actually bring to this and i'll share something maybe that hasn't been spoken about before but this is my take on it that there's a great quote by one of my mentors michael neal and he once said everything you think you are is everything you're not and i really live by that with that entity like if he said who rag is it i'm definitely not my name i'm definitely not you know, how we define ourselves and what we define ourselves by aren't actually what we are. It doesn't point back to who we are. 
Like people say, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a John. I'm, I'm John and I'm an architect. Well, no, your name's John. It's a label you were given as a kid. Exactly. You didn't even choose it. Yep. And architect is what you do. It's not who you are. Yep. Like I had a sandwich earlier. That doesn't make me a sandwich, right? It's like these are things you do. You know, like architect is what you do. Are you an architect and you go to bed? Hopefully not. I hope the answer is no, but maybe in some cases people are. Um, like you're not an architect when you go to bed. You're not an architect when you're brushing your teeth. Yes. Right? You're not an architect when you're in your honeymoon. That's true. So it's, we, we think about things as doing. And why we do that is because it gives us a lot of certainty. I think there's a part of us in our humanity that craves certainty. So we attach onto labels. And I find today the way language is used is so bad that it's actually adding to people's mental health problems. That's true. You know, everyone's diagnosing, them, diagnosing themselves with something. And it's just really terrible. So when it comes back to identity, when I look in the mirror, what, I, what do I see? Well, to me, it's more like if I were to try and think about myself, what do I really see? That beyond all these labels, when you start letting go of what you're not, you then start seeing who you are a bit more. You then start experiencing that more. Like when you let go of who you think you need to be, you'll discover who you really are. And what I find is that there's so much there, such as the confidence you're talking about, the love, the flow, the happiness, the joy, the passion, the performance. Like when I talk about slowing down in business, people think, how is that helpful? You know, doing nothing. That's not what slowing down is. Slowing down is bringing presence to where you are as a way to then harness your potential as a way to then bring out your internal instincts, your skills, your experience. And that's what I'm starting to see when I go beyond the identity of, you know, rag, it's actually really, really powerful. And people don't realize it. Like this is, it's a space where ideas and inspiration comes from. But that's where incredible things are made. Not when you're creating it from the, well, I am John and I'm an architect. Well, actually, no, you're so much more than that. That's true. That is definitely true. Talk about leadership. That's something that I would love for you to talk about. Leadership is something that a lot a lot of people want to be. And I know we've just spoken about not defining yourself by the name John or and being an architect, which is so true. But could you go into depth of leadership? How you coach people in leadership communication? And what does it mean to you to be able to do this? And how do you see the transition from when you begin with somebody in the beginning to the point where you feel like they are ready to be okay and be by themselves to be able to evolve as a person? Yeah, those are some really great questions. So as given the work I do, I love shaking things up. Like I love disruption especially because I think the way a lot, and I don't consider what I do personal development, largely because the way a lot of it's done, I just don't agree with. Okay. I just don't, I actually, I really don't believe fundamentally with a lot of the noise that the personal development industry is producing because it's constantly creating this pressure of you have to do this and be this and become this. And, and people have more thinking that takes them away from who they are. Exactly. And they're living a life of stress, of pressure, of I have to go and do this now and I have to achieve this, otherwise I'm not extraordinary and I'm a failure. And I have to, and there's, there's like what I'm seeing, or how this ties back to leadership is leadership is just an extension of who you are. 
That's what leadership is. So when people prioritize, okay, I want to be a good leader. I want to go and learn all these skills. That's not a bad thing to do. Now, there are technicalities. Like as an example, you may not be able to just go into corporate and think, okay, I'm just going to, I don't know, lead all these teams with flow and ease. Like it may take some understanding of the nuance on how to manage teams. But when you're talking about personal leadership, it's just an extension of who you are. Like, you know, I was coaching a, an executive once on listening and he had transitioned to a, a you know, really successful company. I don't know how many billions they're worth. And he asked me to coach him on how you can listen better. Now, there's all these sort of rubbish courses out there that are saying, oh, well, to listen better, you should do matching and mirroring. And when someone says something, say, mm-hmm, I hear you. And then repeat back what they've said. And that's not like that might be considered listening. That's not real listening. What I coached him on was like what I basically pointed him to is I don't think you have to do anything to listen to someone apart from just care about them. And he found that profound. Compassion. I said, yeah, I just said to him, it's like listening is like watching a movie. You don't have to do anything to watch the movie. You're just present in the movie. But you could distract yourself by getting out your phone, doing all this. And I said, it's the same with listening. That if you really care about someone, you're going to listen to them without anything on your mind. Why people struggle to listen isn't that they're bad listeners, is that they listen to people with a lot on their mind already. Then, and he found that really profound because no one had told him that. Nobody had told people him said, the truth. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. All I did was bring him back to who he really is, which is listening is our inbuilt, innate skill. Communication is our inbuilt, innate skill. Leadership is our inbuilt, innate skills, but we come away from it because we come away from who we are, because we think we have to do this and all the pressures and stress and everything we build up, we just come away from our own true nature. So when I coach someone on leadership, it's waking them up to who they really are. That's more powerful than me giving them a couple of skills and communication. It's helping them see that they can be this person right now that can lead powerfully in whatever environment they're in. I work in a very corporate environment. Here's a question for you. And it's spontaneous. It's not even on my paper. Mm-hmm. So so I work in a very corporate environment. And I do something similar to you, but I do it not as a, a, a profession. I just do it because I do. I believe in compassion and kindness. And that is me. But I've noticed in a corporate environment, the people working there are very good at doing business. Very good at talking to people about business. But then when you ask them to talk about something else on another level, they are unable to. Could you break this down a little bit for anybody who's listening? Because they might not understand what I'm trying to say, but I'm I'm sure you understand where I'm coming from in this aspect of things so they're very good at doing business getting contracts making deals getting big numbers um flourishing in their role as a ceo or a founder but when they have to have general day-to-day normal conversation as they were they are unable to do this because they are so firm within themselves and so strict in who they are how do how would you break that chain so they can be a better communicator with people in the office and normal day-to-day people 
Yeah. So what I hear in your uh, question, Savi, is that it goes beyond communication. Yeah. You see, communication is just the byproduct. Good and bad communication is just a byproduct. It's just the, it's like, I don't know, I'm just thinking of an example of baking as an example. So if you're making a pizza, a pizza turning out the right way is a reflection of good ingredients in the oven yes. being at the right temperature. So what's coming out and the lack of communication isn't a skills problem. What I hear in your question is there's, it's about, you know, who the leader is being. And I really see this in, especially within business that we think, and I know this because I'm currently writing a book on imposter syndrome. I'm researching and interviewing 100, 200 leaders across business um, from a number of different countries. And what I'm hearing from all of them is that there's a part of them and there's this thought that they have to have all the answers. They have to have everything figured out. They have to be leadership-like and they have to be this way. And a lot of this mindset is so outdated yeah. that we think we have to be leader-like, which has been being strong and confident and inspirational and know-it-all and you know leadership-like. But the problem is no one can actually be like that. But when you have that pressure in yourself, no one can actually be like that. That's the problem. That's a real fundamental issue. So what you've got is people that are coming to the equation and they're not really being human. They're being something else. You know, they see vulnerability as an issue. They see it as such a, like a huge issue. And as I'm having conversations with people and they start realizing vulnerability is okay. Yeah, you know, strength. embracing reality is okay. Mm. Knowing things are not easy at times, it's okay to know that. To feel like you don't have all the answers, that's okay. To feel uncertain, that's okay. They're starting to see that that's okay. And then what happens is they start relaxing their shoulders. And what you see is more of who they are is coming through. Mm -hmm. So what's missing here is there's a big part of leadership that thinks, well, I can't be human because otherwise I'm going to be seen as weak and judged and critical. Look, if that's really the case, then they have to look at the culture in the company. Yes. Okay, you really got to look at, do you want to be part of that culture? Do you really, or is this the culture you're creating? But also by your actions, you're creating a culture. You know, you look at leaders like Jacinda Ardern in politics. I think she's a role model because despite your political affiliations, she's someone that's so human and she brings people together because she's just a human being. That's what powerful leadership is. This is what we love in our leaders, not leaders that are really you know, demigod-like. The problem is when we look at those, that sort of show and display, I even see this in the personal development space. There's so many people that, our speakers and experts saying, you know, I can be confident all the time and I can do this and I can do that. And it just, it's not real. You just can't, and you can't connect to people like that. Yeah. I totally it's agree. fundamentally not true. It's a, it's a misunderstanding. So that's why you have the lack of leadership because there's a belief that who you are isn't enough right now or who you are isn't what you need to bring to the table. You need to bring someone else other than who you are. And then from that space, of course, you're going to have communication problems. That's something I've definitely noticed. And to me, I'd, I thought it was a shame because I can see that these people do have compassion inside them. But because they have this wall, I call it a wall, a wall of how they should be, like you've said, or how they should be and how they want people to portray how they should be so they can have the power that they've always wanted to have. They never let that wall down. And I just feel that it's a shame. It would be nice just to see who they really are yeah. in an environment. So could you tell me what you have overcome 
that has changed the way you think and feel and also interact with people. So this is more about you as a person. Has there been anything in your life that has been an obstacle that you would like to share? That you feel would help people understand that you've changed the way you interact with people in a good way, in a positive way. And it's helped you on your journey to continue to be the person that you want to be. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, for me, I've, like, what brought me into coaching is actually struggling with my mental health. So from a young age, 18, 19, I struggled with an eating disorder. I struggled with low confidence and low self-esteem. And I also went through, you know, minor depression as well. So I struggled with depression at, at those years. And even after that, so I'd, I'd done a lot of work on myself, so to speak. You know, when we say work on yourself as in having coaches, having mentors, learning to love yourself more. So there's a lot that I've done, which has been really brilliant for my life. It's been really you know, transformational more than anything. But then even over the last few years, as I noticed that I was running my business, I would actually be quite hard on myself. Okay. And I'd be putting a lot of pressure on myself. And that's causing more stress. And then what happens is performing and doing well actually becomes even harder because you're not performing from a space of who you are and your capabilities and your potential and, and you know, allowing that to fully come to the table. You're limiting that with all the stress and pressure you're putting on yourself. Yeah. So for me, the journey of understanding myself, even as a coach, like I'll always say this, that I'm not someone that's always had my life together. And the my coach, I see that that's true with everybody as well. That it's not anybody that always has their life together. Yeah. That there's always stuff that's going on for us that, you know, we're looking to understand better and see better. So I suppose with me, the journey isn't ever about how can I get rid of what I go through? How can I get rid of my experience? It's not about that. The journey for me now is how can I ask better questions? Yes. You know, how can I understand this better? How can I be more curious about what I'm going through? Versus trying to judge myself and say, well, you know, I've got this experience. I shouldn't have this experience. Well, that's not true. It's, it's learning to embrace my humanity. And that's what makes me a better coach. That's what makes me a better partner. It's what makes me a better friend, a better anything. And I'm just being more of who I am and, you know, wherever I am in the world. I love that answer. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to walk a day in your life. Okay. So I want to know what it's like to be you for a day in the sense of when you wake up in the morning, what you do. Then, for instance, if a client comes to you and wants to work with you. I know every client is different, but if mm. there is a specific client that you would like to talk about, I know it has to be confidential, that's fine. But is there, if there is something that you would like to share, I would love for you to tell the story in the sense of when you wake up in the morning to when you have a client, what your process is and the end result of what you feel, not only for them, but for you also. So with each client, and I'd say probably with my approach to coaching, it's changed a lot over the last years yeah. that typically, you know, my clients will, they used to come to me and it'd be about, you know, business goals and ambitions and, you know, how can we go and achieve this more? 
but what I'm seeing with all the clients that I coach is what actually they come to coaching for isn't actually what they need. You know, what they bring to a coaching conversation isn't actually what's going to move the needle for them and what's going to make the difference. So with each client, what I love is that I actually don't know what's going to show up, but what I bring is presence. What I bring is listening to my clients in a way that they haven't been listened to before to really understand them, to really get a feel for what they're saying, what's happening in the world, what are they not seeing? So for me, what I speak to is what shows up for me in the session and what I see going on for a client. Yeah. Like what I see that's happening in their business that's stopping them from being all that they are and that's what's stopping them from creating the, the success and the impact that they want to have. Like that's what I look to and that's what I speak to, but also helping them see who they really are. And that can only come without me trying to have an agenda, without me trying to coach and trying to be powerful and all this stuff. It's literally me being another human being, yeah. showing up with a client, and and just two people speaking to each other. You know, it's not a coach and a client dynamic. I don't want this sort of formality of, okay, I'm going to be coached now. Yeah. It just feels like two people having a conversation. And that's what's really rich because, like, what more do you need in a coaching conversation for it to be powerful? And where we then tend to go, like, the results are even better. That's true. Like, what we, yeah, it's... It's like every single time a client will come in, there'll be something on their mind. What they leave with is an insight that will now change the game about how they play life, how they play business. Just because we, you know, we bring some presence to that. You know, we're not in a rush to, okay, here's your goal. Let's go and look at how we can achieve it. My belief is everyone knows how to achieve their goals. That's not what like, they think. Consciously, they think, okay, I need to work on this. They know how to achieve their goals. What I look for is how are they getting in their own way? And that's a powerful conversation. That is actually, even the way you've said that, how are you get how how does a person get in their own way? Which is actually that's good actually. It makes you think indifferently. Yeah. Maybe that's a question I should ask people more too. See, you've given me a question. See, you've given me insight. <laughs> you know it's a big one. It's it a is. Big one. It definitely is. You made me yeah. stop and think. I've rarely met anybody that doesn't get in their own way. Like why we want coaching, why people come to coaching is because they're not doing and being all that they can. And I'm not even talking a success level. I'm talking about their experience of living life. Like the amount of people that I've coached who, even people that are fairly successful at what they do. And one person has told me this really directly. He said, look, Rag, you know, why? And he was sort of, you know, hunched over the desk and, you know, he looked at me really closely and said, Rag, look, the reason I want to work with you is I get to tell you all the things that I don't want anybody else to know about me. Yeah. So everybody's going through something. Everybody's navigating life and have their own stresses and their pressures and their struggles. And they've got big ambitions and they want to do things in the world. Or maybe even not in that case, but they just feel like, to use an example, or the best way to use it, like an analogy to describe this, one of my clients often says is, you know, there's a handbrake on his performance. There's a handbrake holding him back. There's like this handbrake on that's stopping everything from free, you know, feeling more aligned and in flow. So what I do as a coach is help people release the handbrake. See, that's a good motto of actually being able to do something different in the world. I like, I like the way you break things down. 
I don't see my, I know everybody has a different strategy of breaking things down for themselves and what they do in their profession and how they do it. But you have a very calm nature of the way you break things down. And I think that's what makes you unique. Just from me talking to you today. So, yeah. Thank you. No, you're Thank welcome. You. Well, uh, I wasn't like that years ago. It'd be the opposite. Uh, and if you spoke to me about four years ago, I would have been really high vibe and excited. And, you know, you've got to be motivated and passionate. You know, you're trying to like be a, yeah. a poster boy for what you think personal development should be. That's yeah. what I used to be until I realized I was just trying so hard to be all this. And while I was trying to be all this, I wasn't being wrecked. I think we like, as I wasn't being me. So I think yeah, that was a big as... like, light bulb moment. No, definitely. I think we as people, what we do is we look for expectations of what we want people to think of us rather than we what we want ourselves to be and that has hindrance on who we are as beings and that takes us away from our calm space and peace within ourselves. which is a question that I would love to ask you um, mm. when was the last time you felt totally at peace with yourself? Probably yesterday. Oh, that's good. Yesterday. That, you know, it's like, I, I'm someone that doesn't meditate. Mm -hmm. And I will meditate well, at one point because I see there's health benefits to it. Yeah. Like there's loads of health benefits. You know, scientists will say it extends your telomeres, which again, I've forgotten the exact scientific term, whether it's your cells, whether it's part of your so DNA, et cetera. But it basically it extends your lifespan, which is fantastic. Like I think for meditation, health benefits, wonderful. I don't meditate though to have peace because I used to think that's the thing you need to do. Like to, in order to have peace, you have to meditate into it. Until one of my mentors very recently, over the last two years, he taught me that actually peace is the default. Meditation is the default. And that blew my mind because as I really understood that more, what he was saying is actually peace is what we have, what we have <clears throat> until we get in our own way. But peace is what we have until we think our way out of peace. The state of meditation is what we have until we think ourselves out of meditation. Now, I never really understood this at first. And I heard all these monks saying, well, actually, you can meditate by traffic light. You can meditate yeah. walking. You can meditate where you are. And I never really, like, I intellectually got a, a part of it, but I never really saw the full picture. Until this landed for me, and then the work I, I've done recently over the last year and a half, two years, it's really woken me up to that high performance and love and peace and flow. That's actually our default nature. But we take our way, we talk our way out of it with lots of thinking, lots of ideas, lots of, you know, this is what we think we need to do. And that's why I think we, we struggle with peace. You know, it's not something you can create. That's true. It's something that's inbuilt. That is definitely true. I think I learned, someone taught me when I was really young, I think I was about 17, and someone taught me that meditation can be done anywhere. I thought we, I had to be sitting down in my yoga pants <laughs> and, and meditate, but then when they took their time to go through the process of what meditation is and what it does for you as a being, I realised, whoa, and plus I wanted to, you have to be accepting as well. When it comes down to you being who you want to be, 
without any judgment or any pressure, stress. You have to want it. And I mean all of you. I don't mean just your body. I mean your spirit, your soul, your internal. You have to want it. And I learned, I was, I felt privileged that I learned it at a younger age because I was able to take it with me throughout my life. And I continue to do that. And I continue to love to help people to be able to do that. I want to talk about imposter syndrome. A lot of people don't actually know what imposter syndrome is and what it does. Could you break down in your own opinion, and especially because you're writing a book and I think this would be so good. What is imposter syndrome? What does it do to a person? And how do you help people who have imposter syndrome? So there's there's a number of different definitions of imposter syndrome. I don't think there's ever just one definition. Yeah. You know, this is my take on it. And I don't think this is the exact, you know, way to pinpoint it. But what people see imposter, how I see imposter syndrome is that it's the thought of you need to be someone different to who you are. It's that, you know, if, if I'm here and I want to be in this role, I want to achieve X, I, I need to do Y, I want to have you know, Z in my life, I need to be another person to do that. And because people are having this thinking that you have to be someone different to who you are, that's why every success they have, they think they've done it by luck because they're thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not skilled. I'm not, the, I, you know, this isn't me. This has happened by fluke. On the other side, they feel like they're making it all up. They just, you know, they, they feel like they're winging it because they need to be someone else. You know, they, they have to be feeling confident and certain and this and know it all and, and more skilled and, so there's a lot of thoughts going on. And this is a key thing with imposter syndrome that I coach clients on, that what we're not dealing with is a, mon is a monster underneath your bed. Okay. We're not trying to fix a monster under your bed. What we're dealing with is a way of thinking. That's what we're talking about. We're just talking about a way of thinking. We're talking about in the same way when we have fear, it's a way of thinking. Now, yes. I know there's a lot of defensiveness in imposter syndrome, people saying, well, there's people that have said, yeah, I'm scared of the future. I think I've got imposter syndrome. And I see these arguments on LinkedIn. And one person saying, well, no, you haven't got imposter syndrome. You're nervous about the future. Fine. But that's not imposter syndrome. And we're arguing about what it is and what it isn't. But the thing is, it all comes from the same place. It's like chocolate gelato. That's not strawberry gelato. It's, but it's all gelato. It's all the same thing. Yes. The flavor is different, but it comes from the same space. And that's what I'm pointing to with this work we do, because I think with imposter syndrome, there's so much conversation about how you should overcome it, how you should get rid of it, how you should. And I'm challenging that. I think that's all complete nonsense. Because every day as I go and do something, there's a thought that just pops in my head that isn't of my doing, that's not in my control. Mm -hmm. And it will say something like, oh, well, you're going to be on Savvy's podcast. Are you sure you're the coach that should be there? Are you like... Is there anything worthwhile that you could share that you'd want to hear? Like, I don't know, something like that. Anything I do, I'm going to have a thought pop in my head. As I'm doing my politics work, mm -hmm. I feel so out of my comfort zone, but I'm learning to love it. Exactly. I really see that I'm making things up as I go along. I'm having to learn as I go along, that I don't have all the answers. And when the thought pops up in my mind of, well, Rag, you need to be something else and do something else. You know, it's one of my mentors in the political space taught me recently you know saying to her that this is such a great opportunity for me to learn more and whatever 
And she said, Raghav, everyone's making it up. They don't really know what they're talking about. If you've got an idea, back it, push it. And I love that because it just made me think, still, there's a small part of me that has imposter syndrome, which is a thought of, I need to be someone else. I need to be something else. So my approach to this is not trying to get rid of imposter syndrome because you can't get rid of your thoughts. You're always going to have thoughts. Yes. You're always going to think stuff. What I point people to is that thoughts aren't a bad thing unless we really listen to them. It's the same reason I'm not a fan of positive thinking. You know, I don't believe in it. I don't believe, in fact, that there is such a thing as a positive thought and a negative thought because it creates a separation that doesn't exist. Like, all thoughts are neutral. It's like gel the gelato example. You walk into a gelato store because you don't like chocolate gelato. You'll say, well, that's really bad. That's negative. But I like the look of this gelato. You see, we're using our own thinking to judge our thinking. Like, that's a mess and a half. And it, it really screws people up because then they're in this, this phase of, well, I don't like this thought. I need to now think this thought. And they're pressurizing themselves to think different thoughts. But all we're doing is playing with our thoughts and not living our life. So what I'm like, kind of pointing people to with the imposter syndrome conversation is that, and you, people might say, well, how do you, like, how, you, how do you do this? This is a longer conversation. I'm trying to sort of summarize it just in a couple of minutes, but all thoughts aren't actually bad. It's just like, you know, when you watch a movie, the more you're engrossed in the movie, the more you're going to feel sort exactly. of, you know, what's this actor doing? What's this? And, and that's why we experience imposter syndrome on a high level. Not because there's a thought that just passes in our, in our mind and we let it go, but there's a thought that comes up for us. And like it's movie, we really zone into the thought and we watch it with full conviction and then we feel the emotions. And then we don't even realize it's a thought. We're living through that thought. So how would you challenge imposter syndrome is just by challenging the thoughts that come with it. Like just asking yourself, is this true? Like who could I be without this thought? What could be possible without this way of thinking? Like, what if I just allowed myself to have this thought? Then how do I feel? And suddenly there's this comfort that comes through. There's this comfort, there's this relaxedness, there's this peace of, I don't need to fight my thoughts. Yes. It's just like, there's such an ease that's happening because there's just an acceptance of what we experience, which is a part of our humanity. Yeah. That research says up to 70% of people will experience imposter syndrome. That shows me it's pretty normal. That, that's just yeah. a part of our humanity. It's not a flaw. It's just who we are. I'm thinking, have I ever had that now? More, more than likely, most probably, especially at a younger age too. <laughs> From imposter syndrome... I want to talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a subject I don't believe that we as people talk very much about. Some people still don't understand how to forgive. But my question for you is, for forgiveness, what does forgiveness mean to you? Because so many people try to forgive and they only do it halfway. What does forgiveness mean to you in a sense of how does it help you mold yourself to be the best person that you can be without any judgment towards somebody else who has who may have done something to you that you may not have liked 
or it holds you in a certain way where you think something of a person and you don't have that compassion or love for them anymore. What does forgiveness mean to you and how does it help you in your everyday life? Yeah, it's um. So, I've got a couple of different viewpoints on this, and it might be slightly controversial. But so there's there's two elements to this. There's two conversations to it. So the first is forgiveness is just an antidote to judgment. Exactly. That if someone does something in our life, like let's say someone betrays us, someone whatever, someone says something harsh to us, someone makes a comment, someone lets us down whatever someone does something Mm -hmm. the first phase is we get into judgment exactly yeah and then we start judging them we start judging who they are and we start judging um their character and we make up an assumption and then because we've got this like again it's a way of thinking we're consuming so much thought about this person in this way that we start feeling bloated yeah just in the same way if you ate too much gelato right as a food example if you eat too much food you're going to feel bloated that's what getting to the point is of frustration and anger and stress that you've built up so much thought in your mind and through the way you're thinking about somebody else. That then what people look at forgiveness as is, well, why don't we just let that go for a second? It's like, why don't we just stop eating the gelato? Why don't we just relax? Let your own body do what it does, which is digest, like with the intelligence it has. The same way with forgiveness, that if we're not judging, then there's nothing to forgive. There won't ever be anything to forgive. And this is where it gets controversial because people can go through more serious occasions, more serious events than, let's say, someone letting them down, whether it's domestic abuse, whether it's something like that. And this is why I show a lot of compassion because I don't want to bypass their experience. I don't want to come across and say, well, oh, no, you don't need to judge them. It's fine. Let this happen. It's a bit of an extreme viewpoint. So in this sense, when you've been through such hardship, it's so easy to be holding on to your to the past, to the fear, to the worry, because it's traumatic, it's scarring. You know, it causes people all sorts of different pain. Yes. So in that example, this is where forgiveness is really powerful, because it's what you give yourself. It's not a gift to the other person. It's purely by yourself. Forgiveness is purely a gift for you. And I really hope that in people listening in, they haven't had the misfortune of going through something traumatic like that. You know, I've had my own experiences as an example growing up and forgiveness has got nothing to do with the other person. It's just looking at yourself thinking, do I deserve to have the most, the best, most richest, most extraordinary life that I can have? Do I owe it to myself to be happy? Do I owe it to myself, as you said, to experience peace, to have love? If I think I do, then I'm going to forgive. Not because it helps the other person. The other person has got his own karma going on. Exactly. I believe in karma. He has his own karmic forces. He's creating the world that, you know, what he's speaking to. You forgiving this person will not change this person. That person is going to create and speak into existence who they are. Whereas with you, by letting go of whatever's happening, by forgiving yourself, then you're speaking to existence the act of compassion, mm-hmm. the act of love the act of self-service. And that's so powerful. That's so liberating. So forgiveness is never, ever related to anybody else. Yeah. It's purely related to yourself. It's just, it's a gift you give yourself. See, I hope you guys are listening to this because I am, believe me. 
let's talk about gratitude. Gratitude yeah. plays a part. So what I've done is I've cut them down into sections. Okay. So we spoke about forgiveness and then we're going to go on to gratitude. So how does gratitude play a huge part in your life? But also, how does unconditional love help you change the way you see the world? So, so with gratitude, the big thing I would say is that do it in a way that feels good for you. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to respond to the feeling. Like you, you've got to get a sense for the feeling of what gratitude is. Because a lot of people, when they hear about gratitude, they might watch something like The Secret or they've read about the law of attraction or something like this. And then they really practice gratitude. Where they do it from, and I know this because I used to do this, mm-hmm. they do it from a space of the head. From, okay, well, I don't really feel grateful, but I'm, I'm going to be grateful about this. And they're intellectualizing it. And it's just wasting your time. Yeah. Like it's not helping. Gratitude is, you know, what right now do you have an appreciation for? Like, what really are you are you feeling humbled for and, you know, love about and excited about and, and passionate about and inspired about? You know, what are you feeling on this level that, that just, you know, really makes you feel there's a really beautiful feeling that comes with it? Just appreciative. Or you can use the word grateful. What really makes you feel that way? And then it's giving appreciation and thanks for that. So for me, I... I don't do gratitude as much as I used to, but what I enjoy is just living in a good feeling. Yeah. That's like more natural. Like if I can be in a good feeling, I know that's going to do more for the world because I'll feel more inspired. People around me will feel inspired because it's an energetic thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having unconditional love, I, I really love that. And that's so beautiful. And a lot of my mentors, they're really, you know, loving people. Like I'm moved by the way they are. Like when you see them, just they're just so loving, and you know it's really special. I just see the the love that they carry, and it's amazing because what they see is that love is our DNA. It's our nature. Yes. And you look at the incidents from the world that happen. You look at Grenfell Tower. You look at all these things. Instantly, people drop what they're doing, and who they are is an expression of love. Like who they are is an expression of you know real you know real deep incredible love and that's what you see coming through and there's uh, a, a great coach that sadly passed away a number of years ago a very famous coach and speaker sean stevenson mm-hmm. he once said that we live in a world where people can hate people they don't know yet they're not going to love people they don't know if it's that easy to hate then surely it's that easy to love exactly. and it really is it really is but people think it's such a weird subject and oh, love, that's too fluffy and weird. And how can you love people? Well, I've really seen this in my mentors and it blows me away that when they're with people, you see such a love and appreciation coming through for who they are. You know, they make the person feel like a million bucks Whether and, and they have a way about them with other people. Like a mentor of mine, Steve Hardison, he's incredible. Like when he's with people and he came here to London, everybody in the hotel who was staying at was trying to do favors for him when he got a group of people together because he's so loving with everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, the doorman, like he's so friendly with and he's introducing us, like the whole gang of us coaches. He says, oh, by the way, yeah, this is Rodrigo, the doorman. This man is 23 years old. And do you know he's just finished his degree at this university? He's such an incredible human being. This man wants to become this, this, this. And I'm blown away because I never hear somebody talk about other people like this. 
it's like Rodrigo's a friend of his. He's not, he just really cares about people. He just has this love because when he's with someone, he sees who they are and he falls in love with them. It's so rich. And it's just, it, it blew me away. Like that was my introduction into this sort of way of unconditional love. Yeah. That it's another level altogether. Yeah. And it's so special. How do you feel that culture and religion, how important is culture and religion, I should say, when it comes to being brought up? Do you think it plays a big impact into how people, what people become and how they become when it comes to culture and religion? Absolutely. Like, I'll speak more to culture first because I think culture, again, should always be the main thing above and beyond religion. Yes. And, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why, because with culture, it's the love and the appreciation and the freedom and the respect and the care mm. that people have shown. If you've got a toxic world culture, right? Like I've got a family uh, member who's, uh, who's in an environment where it's so toxic. It's unbelievably toxic. Like the culture, you struggle with performance. Yeah. You're not going to attract the best leaders. You're not going to attract the best talent. So imagine when you're growing up, if you've got a culture that isn't as safe, that isn't as welcoming, that isn't as nurturing, especially when you're growing up, especially when you're from the age of five, six, seven plus, all the way into your you yes. know, teen years, late teens, that's going to impact you. Like that is so formative. It's so formative. And a lot of parents don't realize this, that who their kids become is a reflection of the love they're given or not given at that young age. It, it's so important. Yes. And this is why I love that with Scotland. Now they they're the you know first country in the in the UK to ban you know smacking your your child, you know, child abuse in the sense of you know physically assaulting your kids. Because people still do that today, yeah. which is sad and shocking. And it just blows my mind that they don't realize what the act of raising a hand to a kid would do to that kid growing up. The shame that they'll have with them. The, the fear. The lack of love for themselves. They, they don't realize. There's a lot of parents that don't necessarily see that. So who we are and who we're being in the world, it's so important. The culture shapes people. It shapes how they see themselves, it shapes their thoughts, it shapes their, and you can break out the shackles of culture. I've done that through my own work, of course. Yeah. Still break, as in letting go of any thoughts that I have from my cultural upbringing. But it's so important that if you can put the strong foundation for kids during the younger generation, then they're going to be leaders of tomorrow. You know, Elon Musk's mom is a great example of that. How she celebrates the kids, like the things she shares on, on Twitter, it's just, it's incredible like the love and the belief she has in her kids. She's creating leaders of tomorrow. See. You know, that's what it's about for me. Culture is so important. What about education? How do you feel about education? You have education and you have talent. Do you believe that education is enough to get you where you need to be? Or do you believe that talent by itself is enough to get you where it needs to be? Or do you believe that you need a combination of the two to enhance each other so that you can evolve as a person to be your best self? So if we're talking about best self, I don't think anything can make you your best self. Mm, I think I like that's that. already there. It's just we lack the realization about it. Exactly. If we're talking about development, then this is, it's not quite, I'm not saying, you know, follow your passion, 
because I think the advice is a little bit one-sided in the sense that it negates and doesn't take into account important factors. But yes. it's basically, it's that which is what I'm saying, which is just go with your instincts, mm-hmm. like go with your wisdom, go with your intuition. Like that is more powerful than anything. Like I love education. I think teachers are incredible. They are, you know, in India, they have this expression that teachers are gods. And I agree that because teachers are imparting some of the biggest gifts to kids. The problem right now in education is that the system is broken. Yes. Teachers are underpaid. They're not rewarded for, for the amount of work they put in. And, you know, it's a sad system. You know, teachers should be paid well. You know, lawyers, doctors, bankers, the, at that level above, they should be paid those salaries. And th- what education teaches doesn't actually educate people. Like, it doesn't really educate people. Yeah. Like, I've never walked out of class thinking, great, now I've learned about, Pyth- you know, Pythagoras' theorem. I can't wait to start a business with this. You know, it, it doesn't reach, it really teach them the skills for life. Yeah. So education alone, you know, you look at some of the most successful entrepreneurs, education didn't really give them what's helped them in their business. What education maybe has given them is development of their own skills as a person, as in developing and, and seeing, you know, who they are and harnessing their creativity. Wonderful. But it's, it's, I think from a young age, it's just feeling, you know, what are you being pulled towards? What's your dream? And then seeing how you can bring that to life. Yes. That's the main thing that's important for me. Like if people are in tune with what their dream is, and I'm not saying wishful thinking, I'm talking about really connecting what's your dream. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it's to do stuff in politics. It's to change the political landscape. And because I've been actualizing this dream and I've really been feeling it, one step after the next, it's becoming more real. Exactly. Every day it's becoming real because I'm, I'm breathing life into this. It's like blowing up a balloon. Are you breathing life into what you want to create? Or are you breathing life into something you don't want to create? You know, where are you going? So I think that's the important conversation. I definitely think so. I like the fact that you always make me think every time. And I've learned something. You don't always have to have an answer after somebody speaks. Just hearing and listening, which are two completely different things. And that's something that I love to define every time I talk. Listening is one thing and hearing is another. I want to ask you, if there is a quote that you could choose, that you believe defines you as a person. And I know this one is quite difficult because we are not defined, and we spoke about this in the beginning, we are not defined by anything. But if there was a quote that you feel resonates with you, I will pull it like that now. If you, if there is a quote that resonates with you as a person, what quote would you choose? And why would you choose that particular quote? That's a really great question. You know, there's probably a few swimming through my mind, but if I had to pick one, it'd probably be something along the lines of, you know, I love the quote by Sid Banks, who said that, you know, if all people did was to not be afraid of their experience, Mm -hmm. that would change the world. And I love that because... I think so many people today, how we're living our lives is not by inspiration, it's by reaction. Yes. Like you see that amongst, especially in the political landscape, you see this across the world, that people are living in a reactionary phase to what they feel, to what they think. And we're experiencing our own thoughts about stuff and we're experiencing our feelings and we can't distinguish between the two. You know, we can't distinguish between, is this a life or is this thought? 
Like, okay, I feel like I'm underconfident, but is this real or is this my thinking or whatever? And with whatever they feel, whatever they think, and not be afraid of it, going to act through their thinking. They're not going to act through their feeling. They're going to act instead on what they notice can really make a difference to themselves, to the world around them, yeah. to people's lives, in business, in politics. You know, if we take our emotions, if we take that away to the side, like, again, start political affiliations, but there's a great, um, Alexandria Osario-Cortez in, in America, she, she raised, I think, an incredible amount of money for people in Texas, even though that's not her party stronghold. She put politics aside, she put partisan politics aside, you know, this sort of um, tribalism. And instead what she did was raise money for people. Yes. Like, it doesn't matter what side of the coin you stand on, you just care. Like, leadership comes through when people know how to navigate their experience. Yep. And are comfortable with their humanity. Yep. Like, I really think that one thing would change the world. See, see, I I have a feeling that when you go into politics, you will make a change, a passionate one too. What? Why politics? If you don't mind me asking, why? What was it about politics that made you decide I need to go into this? Was it the fact that I remember you spoke in the beginning about having the pressure of your family, um, being very, very bright intelligent in what they do and how they do things and you felt the pressure from this knowing that academically you wanted to achieve high standards or they wanted you to achieve high standards and things but what was it about politics that made you decide and only you decide that this is something that you want to go into so there's like two short answers I can give to this. I mean, the first one is like the, the real one, if I'm honest, is it's probably the same reason if you asked, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, why do you love football? Or, yes. you know, Vera Kohli, why do you like cricket? They'll say they just love it. You know, the heart wants what it wants. That's true. And that's how I make a lot of my decisions that with politics, I can give you some rational reasons, but it's just, I love what could be possible. Like I just, I feel so pulled towards Parliament. It's like since I was a kid, I just loved the House of Parliament. You know, I loved the Westminster area. I was just so inspired by it. I felt so like I had a real strong pull, mm. like a, a instinct. I can't even explain it, but I loved it. Yeah. And I, it felt really good to me. And I love London. It's my favorite city and you know, in the world. And it, it, there's just a pull that's directing me there. And that's how I make my decisions of intuition of inspiration that's why i think everyone makes their the best decisions from it's not from the rational oh i can give you five reasons i can make that up yeah. what i can't make up is what i'm feeling pulled to mm -hmm. you know what i'm what i'm feeling really passionate about but if i would give you some reasons i just think there's such a great opportunity in politics to do better for the people you know we've got a constitution that is meant to serve the public but i don't think it serves the public powerfully Yes. Like I think there's such great opportunity here for deeper public service, a deeper commitment to the electorate. But also, one of my goals is to make politics something that the best talent are inspired to enter. You know, we're creating a culture in Parliament that isn't actually toxic. I mean, right now, I think it's the most toxic it's ever been. It's yes. disgusting. And I think politics today has really reached an all-time low, mm -hmm. that people are alienated by it. 
people are disillusioned by it. People have opinions about politics and politicians being, like one of my, my brothers said, oh, you know, a lot of politicians are scumbags. And I said, well, no, not all. There's some that I see who's pointing at, but there's a lot of people trying to do great work. Yes. So for me, it's changing the way politics is done. Like I believe in a world where politics is done differently, that can command the respect of the electorate, that brings in diversity of thought, that creates greater equality, and brings the best, brightest, youngest generation into the system who really see they can make a difference. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, they think, well, I could be a doctor, lawyer, dentist, banker. All these things are great. But, and nothing wrong with these roles, by the way, but it's just, I can see what I can do in politics. Mm-hmm. I want that passion, that inspiration to be created because the younger generation right now, the solution by politics, yet politics is what's governing our rules. Exactly. I think it's crazy and it's sad that we have this system right now that people are so against it. So it's how can we create greater harmony and a greater trust within the public and the political system and making that one and making sure that we've got, you know, a system that has got so much potential, the political system, yet it's performing at 20% of its capacity. As a coach, high performance, I want to see how we can get parliament being a high performing parliament, performing for its people. That's inspiring to actually hear. So so this one will connect with your passion. Okay. So what do you believe stands between you and complete happiness? Because you always talk about other people and their potential to do great things and their potential to be happy. But what stands in your way of you being completely happy? Nothing. I like that. Nothing. Yeah. You know, that, there's a quote that I I resonate with this more. It's with the happiness conversation. I know there's a lot of hype and people say, you know, happiness is this, happiness is that. You know, there's, I don't quite know what happiness is, but what I experience is peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Having peace. Mm-hmm. Having an appreciation. Having you know the soulful experience of quiet i love that you know peace of peace of mind in your life for me that's even more golden because happiness could be people trying to drag themselves up with excitement people trying to think positive i, I don't quite know what happiness is but i i get it this it's like a feeling that feeling is always there i think it's like the pull you were saying like when you were just yeah. telling me just now if something pulls you towards something and even if you're trying to run away from it, it keeps pulling you and pulling you. Yeah. I find that a lot of people do that when it comes to creativity. Sometimes we as people were like, no, I'm not going to be a singer. No, I'm not going to be a writer because it's, it's not going to be financial beneficiary to me. It's not going to su- be able to support me. And then you go off and do something else and then you're not happy. But somewhere on your journey, it will pull you back. And that is where you're meant to be, even though you've been running from it for so long. And then when you get there, and then when you decide you put your whole heart into it, you will flourish and you will flourish. And nobody will be able to stop you. Your destiny is your destiny, regardless of people. I believe everything, yes, starts with a chance. But sometimes we as people must kick down our own doors and open our own windows to be able to get to where we want and need to be in life. That's just my opinion on things. Maybe it's because I've been through it and I understand it. And I know your intake on it, Rags might be similar to it. 
or different but um how do you feel about opportunities do you feel that people are given opportunities or do you feel like you have to know somebody to know somebody to get to where you want to be because that plays a huge part but how do you feel about opportunities and and going for what you love and what you want you know the thing about opportunities is you know is this that some people may have an easier ride yeah. some people may have connections like if you a great example is the political landscape that a lot of the people in government it's like an old boys club right uh, it's a you know like a boarding private school club sort of thing going on and it's it's not a meritocracy it's uh based on cronyism that people you know and their friends you know and and that's one way of doing it and sure that happens and this is my take now i want to counter that i want to take a stand for what i think politics should do but i don't give them my energy and focus and this is the thing for anybody who's looking to do something and be something in the world yeah that if you focus on what other people are doing you're not listening to your own instincts you're not creating what you can create what you're doing is you're focusing on what who they are you're focusing on what's going on for them you're making up so many assumptions about it and when you're coming from this place it then becomes harder to feel that pull to feel what you're inspired by to see what your next step is you know one of my mentors um, again hardison what he'd ask often with clients when they're saying oh well you know this person's doing this this person's doing that he would say well if we took that energy and diverted it to something else what could you create exactly like what could you create so although people might have an easier ride i never think about that but for me and how i've got to where i'm in politics like i'm a diversity officer for my local party mm-hmm. that's only happened because i've shown up and i've taken another step and i've taken another step and i've done the work and i've had conversations that it's like a horse with blinkers on either side you just got to be really focused yeah. and you just got to think okay right now like what's my next step and whatever you feel pulled towards like let that drive you that that take you forward and then the next step and the next step like we all have this incredible intuitive ability to figure things out and to work out how to create something how to bring something to life because we always do it yeah. but if we're giving our energy away to other things it then becomes harder to be a really uh, let's say a deliberate creator or someone that with conviction is achieving the things that you want to achieve see what would you like your legacy to be this is interesting what would you like your legacy to be when you feel and only when you feel that you have done enough in the world how would you like to be remembered You know, I haven't thought about that actually. That's a really good question. I used to be obsessed with legacy and then years ago, I mean for now so much has changed. You know, I'm not really sure like it would it probably just at the top of my head it would probably be something linked to to making a difference in the lives of other people. Mm-hmm. That's fair enough and that's good enough. Yeah. And not in the way of sort of you know mass known celebrity fame. Yeah. Like I never want that. As a coach I I don't want to become mainstream. Like I never wanted to be like the next Tony Robbins or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I I don't aspire to that level of fame myself in the personal development world. But you know someone that has made the lives of people better, richer. 
I like that aspect of things. I've got one more for you, which is I've had the pleasure of being able to interview you today. But if anybody else would like to get in contact with you, where can they find you and all your social media platforms if they would like to get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm very active on Instagram as well. I've come back onto Instagram now more recently. And also they can get me from my website, which is www.myfirstnamesurname.com, ragavparkash.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the Us People podcast because you have been, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, you have been a magnificent guest and your wisdom, your kindness and you just, your knowledge to me has been exceptional and I know that people will take something away from this because I know I have. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Savvy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I've loved this uh conversation massively and i feel i'm the one walking away with insights <laughs> well uh, listen the way i see it if both of us walk away with something good then i'm abundantly happy so thank yeah. you definitely it's my pleasure thank you guys thank you so much for listening to the ask people podcast and please remember you can subscribe and leave us a review on spotify itunes google play and any other platform that you prefer listening to please also follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and you can also donate to the us people podcast by simply going to the savvy rocks website or typing in paypal.me forward slash us people podcast guys thank you so much for listening stay happy stay positive and as always please continue to be kind to one another I really enjoyed speaking with you today, Savvy, and you know, I like what you're about and your podcast and, of course, anything I can help with. If I can support you with anything, just, you know, reach out. You know, you've got my number. You know where to find me. Everything you do, you make the rules. Sometimes.